If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Longhorns 27. Welcome to the Sooner Nation postgame podcast. Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray coming to you from the Vivid Seats studio. Oklahoma improves to 6-0 on the season. First time in a while the Sooners have been 6-0, 3-0 in conference. Longhorns fall to 4-2 on the season, 2-1 in conference. We'll get back to some of the uh, some of the ramifications of that here in just a little bit. But the big news is it's defense for Oklahoma. And uh, the, I mean, going into this game, I had said this would be the biggest test of the season for this Oklahoma defense. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that they passed that test with flying colors. We've got your complete breakdown of Oklahoma, Texas, the Red River showdown. Um, the ramifications for this game are kind of multi-level. It gives Oklahoma the inside track to the Big 12 championship game. The Sooners, you know, here's here's what you got to watch out for because this this is typically the case you know Oklahoma uh beats Texas and that should be a kind of a notch in the belt for the Sooners the same way it was a notch in the belt for LSU but what the temptation there always is to be is that Oklahoma beats a team and then suddenly well they're just not as good they're they're not as good as 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 we previously thought they were everyone talked about what a great win that was for LSU to go and beat the Longhorns. Now you got to watch out for this national media talk about how this was an okay win for Oklahoma. Texas just isn't there yet. And while I do agree that Texas just isn't there yet, you got I mean you you got to play this thing on one side. You can't have it both ways. It can't be a really good win for LSU and then just an okay win for Oklahoma, especially when you consider we're talking about the SEC this is a conference that just saw Georgia go down today to South Carolina, saw Vanderbilt just getting whipped by a, by a non-Power 5 team. Oklahoma inside track to the Big 12 championship. I, I still say, I, I've said this all season long, I still say one of those teams playing in Arlington for the Big 12 championship will be a two-loss team. And I hold on to that. I, I haven't changed, uh, and I'm still talking about two losses in conference. I haven't changed my opinion on that. But you should also see Oklahoma take a step up in the rankings, especially with Georgia losing, right? I, I, I'm I, in that same uh, train of thought in that when one of the top ranked teams in the country, what a lot of people thought would compete not only for the SEC championship, but also be a national title contender given the strength 
of that team. Not only do they have Jake Fromm, they've also got some some pretty hefty receivers, running backs, and then you just talked about the defense as a whole. Georgia is still a good team despite the loss. I know that that one is going to take the nation by storm. People are going to start having knee-jerk reactions, but we'll see how the dust settles as we get a little bit closer to the end of the season. Don't count Georgia out of anything yet just because they've got one loss and it comes to an unranked South Carolina team. What I'm looking at as far as Oklahoma is concerned is this Florida an LSU matchup that hasn't started at the time that we're recording this because I do believe if Florida makes a strong case in that game and potentially wins that one, we could see a, a leapfrog happen and we could see LSU stay ahead of Oklahoma in the rankings because, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a 5-7 matchup. There, there's a lot still at play, excuse me, on this weekend. Will Oklahoma move up? It looks that way for the time being, but there is also the potential that they'll just hold down that number six spot, depending on how this um, this this LSU Florida game shakes out. Yeah, I mean you're right. It's a five six matchup between LSU and Florida. But here's the thing: Georgia three first place votes this last week in the AP, and and you've got Alabama. I, I think Alabama, by all I mean they 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 handled business against Texas A&M. Uh, you got Georgia who lost LSU at five. Florida seven, Texas was teetering into the top ten. They were they came in to number eleven. Obviously they're going to drop. Obviously Georgia's going to drop. Georgia cannot stay at number three in the country. Right, I agree with you. But my question is this: you, you've got Georgia losing already to an unranked team. You've got LSU and Florida getting ready to play. Does, does the does the SEC this time tomorrow? Does the SEC still have? Three, wait, four teams in the top ten? Um, that, that's a really difficult question to ask. No, the answer to that question is yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I said it's a really difficult question because from, from my vantage point, from my perspective, you've got a handful of these teams who have yet to suffer a loss. Of course, you've got Notre Dame, who's that in the, the fringe right now. Their only loss comes at the hands of guess who? To Georgia. Georgia. Who just and lost to South Carolina. Exactly. But, I, but I'm looking at a couple of teams. Like I said, there's more than just a handful who remain undefeated at this point. I agree with you. I think that AP-wise, when we look at the media, there is a strong lean towards the SEC. That I don't expect to change. And for that reason alone... I do believe that we see four teams inside the top 10. Is it uh, a real ranking? Is it something that we could go back and at the end of the season say, yeah, these, these four teams were worthy of that ranking at the time, or were they being bolstered by some of these wins over lesser opponents, if you will? Yeah, I just don't think – I mean, even though they lost to an unranked team, I, I you don't – it is. I mean, the the SEC bias will be proven out on Sunday. Georgia will not drop out of the top ten. Now, Florida LSU. You know, who who knows? I, I think LSU is going to win that game, and I think they're going to win it fairly comfortably. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a route by any stretch of the imagination. But I think I think LSU is going to going to have their way with Florida. And so they're going to say, you know, they're going to say, well, Florida lost to the number five team in the country with Georgia losing, you know, number four team in the country. So they're going to stay in the top 25, somewhere around nine, eight or nine. And then Georgia's going to drop to 10. 
But that still leaves room for Oklahoma. When we talk about ramifications of this game, it still leaves room for Oklahoma to jump, I believe, into the top five. And the thing is, none of this matters until about three weeks from now when the first playoff rankings start to come out. That's when the, that's when these polls, I mean, if you, if you look at our, our website, if you look at heartland-sports.com, outside the initial polls, I don't know that we've done any updates on any of the AP or coaches polls this season. And part of the reason for that is it really doesn't matter. I mean, it just it doesn't. Th these polls no longer matter outside of giving something to talk about. What matters is when that playoff poll rolls out, and I think you're going to see Oklahoma sitting in a pretty decent position with this win. And and you know that that was the thing. The knock against Oklahoma coming into this game was that they haven't played anybody. And you really, as an Oklahoma fan, you really could not make a good argument against that knock when you when you look at the level of competition when you know Houston I mean, they're 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 tanking I don't think there's ever been a college football team tank the way Houston is this season and there's nothing to tank for there's no draft picks there's there's nothing you know out there you don't get extra uh, scholarships on signing day for having a terrible record but the Houston Cougars are tanking you know South Dakota would just throw them out the window UCLA has not been great you know um you know, and, and even, you know, you got, you got Kansas in there after you get in the conference play. Texas Tech, maybe a little bit of a of a, a good notch in the belt for Oklahoma. Um, I just, I, 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 this was the game that everybody said was the measuring stick. And, and really, for me, it was the defense. I wanted, we all know about Oklahoma's all. We know what Lincoln Riley can do offensively. And we are definitely going to jump into those breakdowns here in just a minute. But to me, the measuring stick was the defense. And I, if you listen to this podcast, if you read our website, you know that I've been probably the most critical person of this defense. I'm a believer now. Uh, and I said, this is the game. I wanted to see this game. And I'm a believer. I am a firm believer in what they're doing in Norman with this personnel, my my holdback was not the scheme. It, <coughs> excuse me, it was not the coaches, but it was the players and whether they had bought in and whether they had been challenged. I'm on board. I let, am fully on board. Let me ask a completely random question as we're looking at the national picture and potentially foreshadowing some of the college football playoff talk. Who right now, in your opinion – is the best team in the country. I asked this question because during the broadcast, I hate the comparison of saying this Oklahoma defense is playing like an Ohio State defense because I, I get where that statement comes from, but the reality is Oklahoma is out to create their own identity. Following that comment, the talk quickly centered around Ohio State being the best team in the country. They've shown the quote-unquote, least amount of holes offensively and defensively. Do you think they're the best team, or do you have someone else who's ranked ahead of them currently as being that that top team in the country? I, look, I, I'm still a firm believer you're number one until somebody beats you. I, I can understand the argument of having Alabama number one right now in all the polls. I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that point because they have played well. But Clemson's sitting there undefeated, five and zero, you know, and and they they handled their business. I I, I just 
I, I'm not buying in. I know I, I'm looking at the poll, but that yeah, they beat Florida State today, so six and zero. Ohio State. How many years do we say this about Ohio State? I mean, how, how often does Ohio State get that publicity? And then you know it's happening. You know it's going to happen. At some point, they're just going to drop a big turd on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> they are. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just, that's Ohio State football. That's, that is what has happened. But they are the team that every year gets talked about, every year gets pushed up there to the, to the forefront. But when you're ranking the, the better conferences, uh, let's just look at the top halves of the conferences in America. You, you got the SEC right there, number one. And then, you know, you, you, it has been the Big 12. It has been the uh, ACC. But everybody wants to make it the Big 10. Everybody wants to say, well, look at Ohio State. Look at Michigan State. Look at Michigan. Look at Wisconsin. Look, Wisconsin and Ohio State have played some really good football this season. Wisconsin was one of my Friday locks, and I loaded up on them, so to speak. I just, I'm not ready to say. I mean, we're, we're talking about Alabama and Clemson, who have been in the national championship game for, what, three years in a row now? I'm not ready to say Ohio State's better than either one of those two schools. Now, I'm, not, I'm also not biased enough to put Oklahoma in there. I would definitely kick out Georgia after today. I would say, LSU, you need to get in line. But I would say Alabama, Clemson, and then you start talking about Ohio State and Oklahoma. And where I would give Oklahoma the nod over Ohio State is, again, that's a team that's been in the playoff for two years in a row. And 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 here's your Ohio State. Here's your Big Ten fans. They're going to start talking about, we need the Big 12. Well, you know what? Everybody sure was bragging when LSU beat Texas. Everybody sure was bragging about how what a good win that was. So I, I don't know. I, I think uh, to answer your question – I think um, I think Alabama, Clemson. I, I mean, I, I don't think you 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 go away from that at this point. I will tell you this: what's really interesting is this. I don't think we've seen Oklahoma play to their full potential yet. I really don't. I mean, we we've seen we've seen a defense that is improving. The aggressiveness was on full display. Best defensive performance of the season. We saw this yeah, right down. now against Texas. But we've not yet seen a defensive performance like this combined with a, a really solid offensive performance. We didn't see Jalen Hurts at his best. We didn't. I mean, we saw CeeDee Lamb just, you know, Lincoln Riley said after the game, CeeDee Lamb was the best player on the field today. I don't think anybody who watched that game can disagree with that. But we didn't we didn't see the offense just kind of clicking yet. So this is a team that is progressively getting better week in and week out. And this will be a dangerous team. But when the, when the first of December rolls around, the first Saturday in December, and we're back in Arlington, maybe it's Oklahoma, Texas again. I'm still holding. I got to stick to my guns of Oklahoma, Ohio, <laughs> Iowa State. I mean, I got to see that preseason prediction. But whoever it is. This will be a, a even better Oklahoma team than what we see right now. What has really impressed me here, we talk about the defensive performance, and rightfully so, but previewing this game, Matt, if you'll recall, on Thursday, one of the highlights or keys to the game that we said Oklahoma must do in order to win was protect the football. More specifically, it was to win the turnover margin. We cited the three turnovers last year mm -hmm. in a very high-scoring affair, 
cost the Oklahoma Sooners the win. Now, we know that the offense has the ability to put up points, but I'm going to go ahead and say, even though on the stat sheet it won't show this way, Oklahoma lost the ball, two turnovers, both in the red zone. Mm -hmm. Those were scoring opportunities that were immediately off the board. It sends the defense back onto the field, and guess what? The, The defense showed up. They completely put the everything on the line is how the only way I can think of labeling it. They put everything on the line in order to get the ball back into this offense's hands to hopefully score and extend that lead. Now, here's what we saw once again, Oklahoma returning to a little bit of what we saw for the beginning, what, three games up until Texas Tech. So beginning four games. Of this season, no three games. Then Texas Tech ruined it for us by scoring in the first half or the first Kansas, quarter. Kansas. Kansas scored in the first quarter. Excuse me. So it was four games. Oklahoma back to that trend. We saw a lot of success there on third down. What the defense did today, though, uh, to give Texas these 27 points was they found themselves forcing the issue and drawing the penalty flag. How many how many pass interference calls were there on just a single drive that allowed Texas to score, allows them to creep towards that goal line, and then Sam Ellinger takes it in like he's done on so many occasions. Such a difficult scheme, such a difficult play to defend when you've got a mobile quarterback like that. So anytime they're five and less, it's almost automatic. And Oklahoma was basically handing Texas that type of a situation because of the pass interference calls. You know, I, I don't have as as big of a problem with the pass interference calls. No, I don't have a problem with them. I'm just saying that was the one yeah, weak I mean, point of the game I today. Just, I, I had major, major problems with the roughing the passer call and Kenneth Murray. And and I had, again, I, I said I do this and I because I'm petty. Um, you know, I tweeted the Big 12 – Something along the lines of um, something along the lines of, hey, you know, you guys spend so much time focused on the pettiness of horns down. Why don't you really spend some time focusing on what a holding penalty should look like? Because Neville Gallimore literally was getting tackled, arms around the waist, sliding down his body and tackling him, and there's no flags. But Kenneth Murray makes what I believe, and I I'm not alone. A clean hit on Sam Ellinger. A bang bang play. Yeah, I mean it's not like I mean you're you're supposed to be allowed a couple steps, and that ball released and and Murray hit him, and there's the flag. And and if you go back and you watch that play, the the official who throws the flag is not even looking. He's not even looking that direction. He, he's looking downfield and his perifs. He sees Ellinger go down and he throws a flag. That was not a 15-yard penalty. That was not a roughing the passer. But dang, how about the fact that instead of focusing on the down horns, that Oklahoma just beat the crap out of Sam Ellinger. You're listening to Sooner Nation Podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Oklahoma makes it 6-0, 3-1 against um, the Texas Longhorns in the Tom Herman era, which means that Sam Ellinger is 1-3. and three. Against the Sooners. Okay, so let's talk about uh, defense. We, we we typically lead with the offense, but defense kind of set the tone for Oklahoma. 
and, and you're coming off your best performance of the season, and now you're looking at playing a West Virginia team next week back home, 11 a.m. kickoff, by the way. That's, everyone loves 11 a.m. kickoffs. That's why we get them so much. 11 a.m. kickoff next week against a West Virginia team that now is looking like there's a legitimate possibility they will be without Austin Kendall coming back to Norman. I mean, you got to be licking your chops if you're this defense because it's a, it's an already you know mediocre at best West Virginia team, and you're you're a defense that is growing stronger by the week. By the way, Vivid Seats is your place to get tickets for next week's game: the Sooners and the Mountaineers. Of course, that game sold out from Oklahoma's perspective, but there's always tickets available at Vivid Seats if you use the promo code Overtime. You save money on your ticket purchase. How's that for sliding in an advertisement in the middle of our thing? Defense leads the charge against against Texas. Um, and and I I was wrong on this score. I, I picked 49-35 as my final score. But what I really wasn't wrong on was how the defense would attack this Texas front by bringing all the pressure up the middle. I mean, just because you wanted Sam Ellinger, you see what I'm talking about now. That you've seen the game. You don't want Sam Ellinger going up up the middle. You want him flush to the side where you can take advantage of speed. And that's what Oklahoma did. They, they just came right up the middle. Even though Neville Gallimore was tackled almost more often than Sam Ellinger was. But you got you go, you go walk away with nine, nine sacks, which ties a record for the most sacks in a game for the University of Oklahoma. Sets a record for the most sacks in the Red River shootout. 15 total tackles for loss from this defense. If you looked at our defensive you know, keys to success... You wanted this game, if you're on the defense, you want this game played on the Texas side of the line of scrimmage. And that's basically what happened. Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest things defensively was definitely field position for where Oklahoma was starting versus where Texas was starting. They gave the averages at halftime. Urban Meyer was breaking down all of those numbers for us. But when I'm looking at this defensive front and how dominant they were, I did believe it started with Neville Gallimore. It started with that bull rush, the size, the strength, and the athleticism that he possesses up the middle, going against a guy who we know has had some struggles at center, snapping the ball pretty far off of the quarterback, making Sam Ellinger not, not necessarily lunge to reach those, but have to stick his hands out before gathering that ball and attempting to move it, whether it was to the quarterback, whether he was running it or whether it was surveying the field to see where he was going to throw it. So I credit a lot of the defensive, what, what we saw production wise, a lot of that defensive effort to Neville Gallimore, the bull rush, but you've also got to think of what the term I'm hearing is twists that they're putting in there where this defensive line is consistently moving. I know you want to talk about motion on the offensive side of the ball, but let's talk about the motion that we're seeing from the defensive front seven specifically. Pulling guys in and out, dropping guys who look like they're blitzing or rushing, dropping them into coverage, disguising some of these looks. I, I thought Alex Grinch has done a phenomenal job with this defensive line, with this linebacker and the schematics and what he's asking them to do, but finally, we're utilizing the speed of Kenneth Murray. Now, Neville Gallimore is moving the center any which direction that he wants to, and it's opening up that running lane. You're talking about moving a guy through the middle and forcing Ellinger, Ellinger towards one of the edges 
to stretch that play and letting the speed of the Oklahoma defense catch him. I thought they were doing exactly what you asked and what you thought they would do, but specifically utilizing Kenneth Murray more often than any other player who was asked to fill that role. Kenneth Murray coming up the middle, unscathed, flushing, or a lot of times getting his hands onto Ellinger, which led to that nine sacks, I believe. Just a complete effort from coaching all the way down to execution. I, I thought Oklahoma was extremely well prepared, but no excuses, execution all the way, all day, every day. You know, earlier in the week, uh, Texas left tackle Sam Cosme said that uh, Ronnie Perkins and Neville Gallimore pretty much, they, they weren't anything more than average um, his, his words, um, his exact words was, I wouldn't say that they're like super special, but they're good. They're solid players. Nothing to worry about too much. I, my, my question now, and I don't know if anybody talked to Sam Cosme after the game. I haven't looked at the, the Texas post game, but I wonder what he feels about him now. I wonder what he feels about this. This is a game where, where Texas goes in just full of themselves, which I don't understand that other than to say it's Texas. You know, they, they actually they actually look at their loss to LSU as a reason why they would beat Oklahoma. It's okay, Jalen Hurts, yeah, we've played LSU. You know, we talked about that Thursday night. What Jalen Hurts beat has beaten LSU, unlike Texas. Sam Cosby calling that Ronnie Perkins, calling that Neville Gallimore. What I what I loved, and, and, and look, that's the truth is is this. There's nothing that Sam Cosme said that's going to change the way Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins played this game. They didn't get nine sacks as a defense because Sam Cosme called out their defensive line. They got nine sacks as a defense because they're that much better than the guys that were lined up across from them. This is just straight garbage talk by Texas that is a team that is that oh, for. I, I thought it was schematic. Well, it is. No, no, schematic garbage talk. No, it is. And, and you saw the scuffle before the game. Right. Which backs up my, well, my what I said, that, that this was just, all this was was a tactical move to try to get underneath the skin of Oklahoma. Uh, Big 12 referee Mike Diffie said to a pool reporter after the game that that post-game incident involved both himself and the head linesman getting hit. During that, that's why the flags were out there. And he went on to say, and this is just crap because Big 12 officiating is crap, but he went on to say this is the 115th playing of this great game. And to have that kind of thing happening was disappointing. We can't control that as officials. What happened out there is an embarrassment to everyone. It shouldn't happen. No, what's an embarrassment to everyone is that the Big 12 coward to Texas has let Texas do whatever they want, say whatever they want. Did you notice that the placeholder today still giving Oklahoma's defense the bird every time Texas, Texas kicked an extra point or a field goal? Did anybody else notice that? Does the Big 12 not pay attention to that? And yet Tom Herman's going to say, we've had so many opportunities to be classy when we've had our opponents be unclassy to us. That's what's an embarrassment. If the Big 12 wants to talk about an embarrassment, this guy is a Big 12 referee. He's paid by the Big 12 Conference. He represents the Big 12 Conference. So, yes, he can talk on behalf of the Big 12 Conference, and we can reply back with, no, sir, the embarrassment is the way that Texas is catered to by the Big 12, allowing their players to have the idea, oh, it's okay. Oklahoma's huddled right there at midfield. Let's go run right through their huddle. That's what started all of that. It just it's it's tactical. 
And, and, and Texas thinks that they can do it and get under Oklahoma skins. But two things happened today. The first thing that happened is they were just whipped up front, just straight up whipped up front. And then B.J. Foster, you cannot talk trash and then get carted off the field. You limp off the field. How about B.J. Foster saying, well, Jalen Hurts is coming at me. He better slide. Oh, I'm hurt. I better get to have someone carry me off the field. That brings me up to a second point. I mean, I'm just rambling now. I'm just – I'm so far off script right now. Do you think – do you think Texas – I mean, it's, this is a legitimate question. Do they go live in practice? Do they hit in practice? If you're asking me, I, I, mean, I, I have not a clue. But going back to – I mean, just looking at your question, a lot of people said that was the problem with this Oklahoma defense mm-hmm. in past years. So – I don't have a definitive answer on that question, but it's a good one to ask. I mean, this is a this is an incredibly soft Texas football team. Look, if you're in Austin, you're gonna be well. You're just a hater. You're an Oklahoma fan. Yeah, I'm a hater. If you listen to this podcast, there's no love lost between me and Texas. They absolutely bring out the worst in me. But when you look at how lost that offensive line looked today, Sam Ellinger is. He has zero pocket presence. We, we want to talk about yeah. this kid. We want to talk about him being on the, the same level. The, but the term used, Matt, here to, to describe, and this is being used to describe more and more players, I feel like, than what it actually applies to, and that is the term of elite. Now, that was the term that was thrown out when it came to Sam Ellinger, not only in the conference, but in the country. They were saying elite, top of the top shelf, top tier, however you want to label that, elite is what it comes down to. I agree with you on the pocket presence. That was something you and I had mentioned at the Big 12 championship game last year when he was sacked in the end zone. Had no idea, and that was coming on on it's from his right. He's right-handed. He's staring that down, or at least should be. Mm-hmm. We did see a lot of that today. That was something that I'm glad you brought up because it's a continuing issue with the quarterback play at the University of Texas, specifically with Sam Ellinger. No, he just absolutely freezes. I mean, the blitzes were coming. There was not very many blindside blitzes that get to him, because if you blitz him blindside, you don't get to him very often, but you blitz right at his face, and he freezes. The the phrase I was using on Twitter during this game was deer in the headlights. I mean, he, he sees them coming. They blitzed right at his face, because he freezes. He just doesn't know what to do when the blitz is coming right at him. And how about my man Pat Fields? I called him out you know, Thursday night, Pat Fields getting the sack. But Sam Ellinger, we, we've got to we've got to I mean, look, I know it's Texas. And there's no the Big Twelve cannot say they don't do whatever Texas wants because they clearly do. But we've got to bring this we've got to walk back this conversation of Sam Ellinger being what you said, an elite quarterback. When you talk, when you listen to people talk, you think Jalen Hurts is the quarterback in the Big 12. The, the phrase I used Thursday night was Sam Ellinger was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But there is a significant gap between Sam Ellinger and Jalen Hurts, or Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger. I mean, it, there, there's a significant gap. The, you know, Jalen Hurts had pressure today, but you know how many times he was sacked? It's a big goose egg. You know why? Because Jalen Hurts can throw the ball away. He can step to the side 
and run out of bounds. I just there's a difference between these two quarterbacks, and it is it is they're not on the same on the same playing field. Hey, let's talk about the behind the back. Oh my gosh! I, I said I well that, that I just said did he just dribble behind his back so to speak? You know, yeah, using a basketball reference. So I I know they showed the replays. I don't know how closely you were paying attention, what your setting was like, and if you were able to pay attention to it but Jalen Hurts puts that ball behind his back and all of a sudden I don't remember who which Texas player it was but there is a hand on the ball you have two hands on the ball that's why that second one comes back it's to support it from being ripped out of his hands Mm -hmm. I don't know how that ball isn't stripped I don't know how it doesn't hit the turf but Jalen Hurts hangs on and makes magic happen apparently well and and again I want to go back so my question I posed a few minutes ago is, does Texas go live in practice? Because you see things in the game, and that plays one of them, where a guy, a defensive lineman or linebacker who's coming in on a blitz is outstrength by the quarterback, which which is ridiculous why B.J. Foster would even call out Jalen Hurts. I mean, this Jalen Hurts is not your average quarterback. No, but that's what I'm I saying. get what you're saying. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's why it's ridiculous that B.J. Foster would call him out. Because look, not only not only is 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 Jalen Hurts flexing his muscle on the Texas defense, but if you look at that play, Jalen Hurts is doing it behind his back, where the guy, the defender, is there. He's there. He's he's reaching forward, and Jalen Hurts is reaching backwards. So he should have the leverage, right? But he doesn't. And then you've got B.J. Foster. You got all these guys just falling all. Over. I mean, there was one play. I'm sorry, I can't remember. The, oh, it was Chris Brown. I do remember it was. Chris Brown comes in and just like a missile to deliver a, like a, a a shot on Kennedy Brooks, and he doesn't get up. How many times have you seen that from Texas this year, where guys just come flying in, they make a hit or they're in coverage and they fall to the ground, and then it's like watching a soccer match. These guys just, they don't get up after a play. And then the trainer's got to come out and help them up, give them, like, you know, some Gatorade, maybe a kiss on the nose. And then they come back in a few plays later. But listen, B.J. Foster has lost all credibility. You can't talk trash about the quarterback needing to slide when he comes at you and then have to get helped off the field. I mean, there's no credibility left for B.J. Foster. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I want to flip the script. Back over to the defensive side of the ball for Yeah, Oklahoma. we need to go back and, there. And here's one thing. I just want to go back to what we said had to happen for Oklahoma to be successful, to actually silence a lot of the doubters, prove themselves worthy of competing for a national championship. And one of those I think we've had some major concerns on has been tackling and mm-hmm. form tackling, but more specifically, what happens when you get a guy in space? I pointed that out. On Thursday, and I will say this is a team, if you just want to compare them from last year to this year, it looks as though it's not even the same personnel. How they're able to completely shed this mindset, I guess it's it's going live in practice. I, I don't know. But to shed the mindset from last year and plunge 100% headfirst into what uh, Alex Grinch is selling, they're clearly buying it because – Tackling in space was not an issue for Oklahoma, whether that was on the edge, whether that was in the middle of the field. It didn't matter. One-on-one situations, Oklahoma came up successful. Yeah, there was a couple of times um, that the long run by Roshan Johnson that I believe 
I'm pretty sure it set up the first touchdown of the third quarter for Texas. Um, you know, that was a play where, where Roshan Johnson should have been tackled in the backfield. I can't remember who the defender was, but the defender gets in there, gets a shot on him, but doesn't get him wrapped up. And then Roshan Johnson, 60 yards downfield. But there were a couple of times where this defense, and you're going to have, you're going to have those plays. You're, you, there's there's no defense ever that makes every tackle clean. It's not a perfect game. Right. But what you're saying and what I'm agreeing with is it's not a consistent thing throughout the right. game. And you're seeing, I mean, even guys like but, Buki. I mean, Buki had right. such a good game. He was – and he's not going to get the credit unless you go back and watch film. But there were a couple of times on the sack that Buki should get the credit for it because Ellinger's trying to do a quick – like that bubble screen and Buki's recognizing it and he's right there and Elliger can't throw it. And then Neville Gallimore or Ronnie Perkins or someone else is, is bringing him right. down. So it's not just, it, it's not just tackling, which is a big part of it. But mm-hmm. what I have been harping on with this defense was fundamentals in general. This defense was reading the plays. You could see them uh, looking out, pointing yeah. to players, the call, rotations, yeah, calling right. things out. They, you could tell, not only have they studied film, but they were recognizing formations and plays and possibilities. Where on the flip side of that is, Texas was totally guessing all all game long. And and look, we we got to give Texas credit. It was a seven point game, seven point win. But you take away two turnovers in the red zone by Jalen Hurts trying to do too much. And this is not a seven-point win for Oklahoma. This is a multi-score win for Oklahoma. But it is what it is. But the point I'm making is Oklahoma's defense was on point. They were fundamentally sound in coverage, fundamentally sound in tackling, and fundamentally sound in recognizing and reacting to what they were seeing based off a film study. This was a great performance by Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, the one play that I would single out to back up these statements Texas finds themselves needing uh, just a handful of yardage, and they decide that they're going to slip the tight end from the line past into the secondary, hopefully being wide open. However, the recognition and the rotation to pick that up just completely busted that play. Sam Ellinger didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. I think that was that first and only option on that play because of the coverage that Oklahoma had presented in one-on-one situations. So needless to say, you've talked recognition. We're talking the rotations. But let's also talk about a little bit of the speed of this defense. And I know Alex Grinch has labeled everything a speed defense, but I see that we, in this game specifically, we're finally seeing that come to fruition. We're seeing the utilization of the skill sets of the players. We're seeing the simplification of what they're being asked to do so it's not overly complicated they know what their role is I don't see I see maybe one time each game a player jumping and pointing but he's pointing at an individual it's most often the nickelback <laughs> Brendan Radley Hiles but I don't know if he's saying look I'm I'm not supposed to be manned up on this guy or if he's saying I'm blitzing someone needs to get this guy I, I don't know what the communication is there but we're seeing these players like I said be in position know what's being asked of them, and then simply execute on that. And that, for me, the execution was why Oklahoma was so successful. It wasn't that they did anything out of the norm. It wasn't that they played completely out of their minds and had what we had already hinted at, a perfect game, because clearly it wasn't. But execution, winning up front, it's 
it makes for an easy day defensively when the defensive line is doing what Oklahoma's oh, sure, defensive yeah. line was doing. And on the back end, the secondary is in the proper positions. Ellinger, 210 passing yards on 25 of 37 attempts, average 5.7 yards per uh, attempt. The Longhorns did get to the century mark rushing uh, 36 attempts to get there, which means they averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Rich, if I've got a uh, if I've got an issue with this defensive performance today, you know what it is, right? No, what is it? Zero turnovers. Yeah. I mean, true. but look, that's that's not me being petty, okay? That is what Alex Grinch has said is the measure of success. It's worth noting that it's two games in a row that this defense has not recorded a turnover, but I think uh, I think if you sack the quarterback nine times and you get 15 tackles for right. loss, we'll cut you some slack on the turnovers. I think a little bit – I'm going to add a little bit of weight to what your point is here because in the previous games when Oklahoma hasn't come up with a turnover, they've at least had an opportunity or we could go right. back and we could look at fourth down, getting the stop on fourth down – Oklahoma didn't even have an opportunity for turnover in this mm-hmm. game. No, you're right. You're right. Um, okay, so give me your defensive player of the game. Defensive player of the game is a real real easy one for me in that it is Kenneth Murray. He seems to be at the right spot, at the right location, driving traffic or forcing a player ball carrier who would be coming his direction to rethink where they were going. I thought Kenneth Murray, even though on the stat sheet he's not going to be the leader, I thought he had the most significant impact on the course of the outing. Uh, yeah, good call. Uh, you know, and, and shout out to DTL for leading the team with 10 total tackles, one tackle for loss. Uh, but I got to go with Big Neff. I mean, I, the guy was a beast today. He was uh, he was a monster. He was what what Oklahoma needed him to be from that middle inside position on the defensive line. Uh, he only ended up with four total tackles, but he had two of Oklahoma's nine sacks on the day. Um, and probably should have had much more had he not been held all afternoon. But uh, Big Nev is my defensive player of the game for Oklahoma's win over the Texas Longhorns. Listen to the Sooner Nation, the Sooner Nation podcast. All right, as we jump back into this Oklahoma 34-27 win over the Texas Longhorns, our friends from my bookie have uh, they had Oklahoma as a double-digit favorite around ten points. Uh, some some places were offering um, ten and a half. My bookie had ten. Uh, I think the over under was seventy five and a half. If I'm I'm just going by memory. Um, if you listen to me, you, I was wrong on both of those accounts. I had the Sooners win this game by fourteen and definitely picking that over. But we've teamed up with my bookie uh, this October to give you a great offer. If you sign up at mybookie.ag and use the promo code overtime, what they'll do is they'll match your first deposit. Again, you want to use that promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Hey, one of the things that um, MyBookie does is they post the odds every week, updated odds for the Heisman Trophy winners. Jalen Hurts had a good game. I mean, a a good game by non-Jalen Hurts standards. He ends up throwing for three touchdowns, 16-28 passing, 235 yards. He team high at 100 and 31 rushing yards, which I heard. I haven't had a chance to validate this, but I heard it's the most rushing yards a quarterback has ever had against the Texas – I mean, an Oklahoma quarterback has ever had against the Texas Longhorns. He also ran for a touchdown, but you got the two turnovers. You got what Tua did at Texas A&M. 
you know, um, Jonathan, what's the kid's name at Wisconsin? I'm blanking on his name. Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Thank you. Jonathan Taylor, uh, Wisconsin. Um, you know, does today, does, does, does Jalen Hurts gain ground, lose ground, or just hold, kind of hold, hold in the middle uh, off of today's performance? I, I believe that he's going to hold ground. A lot of people, I say a lot of people, the commentators while we're watching the Oklahoma game are saying Ohio State deserves to be the number one team. And then they went on to talk about some of the struggles we've seen from Alabama, we've seen from Clemson, and a lot of that people are going to place squarely on the quarterback. So I believe, despite the, the turnovers, that Jalen Hurts holds steady. Yeah, it, but the turnovers have to be discussed. I mean, it, it, this is this is Oklahoma, I believe, has five turnovers on the season, and they're all on Jalen Hurts, either by fumble or interception. You know, and and that's and, – and the fumble today – was really a better defensive play than it was neglect. Right. You know, but the interception was just terrible. Jalen Hurts and running out there like it's a I mean a loaf of bread. Well, no, <laughs> what I'm, I'm talking about. The, no, I mean, look, someone. In, I'm, I'm kidding. Well, someone you. in my group said, well, "Why is he not? Why doesn't he have two hands on the ball?" Well, because he's running downfield. That's why he doesn't have. To, if you're one of those people saying, "Why does he not have two hands on the ball?" Because he's running downfield. You don't see running backs, receivers, anybody that has a ball carrier downfield running with two hands on the ball. Now, if they're running downfield and they're about to go head-to-head with somebody, yeah, you see that. But he came – that that hit was from his back shoulder. About a 45-degree angle. Which is the, what lodged the, the ball. So that was a good defensive play. But the interception, throwing off of his back foot across his body, he actually and did it – To tw- the middle of the field. He did it twice. He got away with it. Right. The second time, but the first time, but you know, both of those times, you're taking points off the board. And when I look, I, I agree. I think he holds his water on this week on the Heisman rankings. But at some point, the turnovers are going to become a narrative when you're comparing Jalen Hurts and Tua, which I believe that's really who it comes down to right now in the Heisman race. They're they're going to start talking about the turnovers. And and that's gonna that's gonna be a player here, and when it comes down to for me, for all the good that Jalen Hurts is, and he's there's a lot of good there. Okay, I don't think Oklahoma gets this type of performance out of Spencer Rattler today. So for all the good that's there, he's got to make better decisions. And I know you know, and I know I, Texas fan Joe Texas fan who told you he said he had been in the Iron Bowl and he said he had been in the in the playoff in the national championship game, but this is the Red River rivalry because that's what a it's exactly what a Texas fan sounds like. Okay, I don't think that I don't think the the atmosphere mattered because he made bad decisions against Kansas last week. So you're telling me there was pressure on Kansas when he's throwing off of his back foot? They should have had a pick six last week. Are you telling me that that's that was the big atmosphere in Lawrence, Kansas, with like 15 people in the stands. And that's why he made bad decisions. It was not the atmosphere. It was not the competition. It is the propensity that he's showing to make some bad decisions at times. And that may be just Lincoln Riley say, look, man, we're going to get the ball back. We're, you're going to get t- close to 20 offensive possessions a game. So gamble a little bit here and there. Maybe that's what it is. And if Lincoln Riley's cool with it, I'm cool with it because we saw Baker make those, you know, make some ill-advised decisions. We saw Kyler make, but the difference is Baker, like, 
made big plays out of those, <laughs> and so did Kyler. I feel like Jalen just needs to learn, step out of bounds, let's kick a field goal. Throw it through the end right. zone, let's take the guaranteed points. Right. That's that's all I am Here, on that. With, with Jalen Hurts, I'm not going to criticize him because he shouldered so much of the burden for this Oklahoma team, for this program as a fifth-year senior in transfer. Well, let me just jump back in here real fast. It's constructive criticism I'm throwing out there. I, right. I'm not dogging Jalen Hurts right. because I said there's a lot of good that comes with Jalen Hurts. So this is more constructive than it is me just piling on a guy. Yeah, and I'm saying that I'm I'm not criticizing him because he's in a completely new system where he's being asked to do something that he's not used to actually doing on the field. Lincoln Riley, I believe, has said, look, Hurts, we've got to take some risks downfield i think we're seeing jalen hurts take those risks but at the same time as if we're willing to say jalen you must take the risk we must also be okay with the consequences mm -hmm. unfortunately that consequence today was the interception there in the end zone almost two interceptions there in the end zone but i will take like i said the consequences knowing that this is a kid who is continuously progressing and is continuously getting better. Not only is he pushing himself, but he's pushing the rest of the team. He's setting the standard and consistently raising the bar. And I will take that any day of the week because what Jalen Hurts is doing at the University of Oklahoma isn't just going to impact 2019. It's going to impact the team for the foreseeable future. And like I said, if that's the reward for some of the risks versus the consequences, I will take that every day of the week. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Especially when we get the win. Yeah, and over <laughs> Texas. Jalen Hurts averaged 8.4 yards per pass attempt against Texas. Uh, but the other thing here is, you know, one of the things that Texas said was try to run on us. You know, try. We're, we're good against the run. Look what we did to Chuba Hubbard, right? Well, guess what? Oklahoma State doesn't have Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. And when you have to worry – we've talked about this, Rich. When you have to worry about all of the things – that Oklahoma brings to the table, including Jalen Hurts, guess what you get in return? You get 7.3 yards per carry uh, average and 276 rushing yards against a defense that was like, yeah, man, we're really good. Because, again, that's what Texas fans sound like, I guess. Try to run on us. Um, Jalen Hurts, you, you remember Thursday night. I sent you a text today. And, and by the way, we you got to throw it out there because you, you said basically – the starting five is going to play on the offensive line. I think I was the one doubting you uh, more than anything else. But you said, hey, I think they're going to play. And they did, and that made a huge difference. But remember what we talked about, what I was talking about, you know, again, I, I guess I'm patting myself on the back. You know, when you're hitting the, hitting the nail on the head when it comes to the scheming, remember when I said that you're going to see a lot of motion plays, a lot of dual, uh, dual backs in, in, the, in the backfield where there's all kinds of options – and, man, Texas was confused. And this game changed. This game changed when, when Oklahoma had to take Texas out of their base. If you remember that opening drive, Texas is in a three-man front. That's their base three-man front. After that drive, they go to a four-man front. But guess what? Even with a four-man front, you still can't account for Jalen Hurts. They, you just can't. There's too many, too many options out there. And this was without Grant Calcaterra. I don't know that I said that sounded right. But still, without Grant Calcaterra, um, there's so many options. You cannot account for Jalen Hurts. You can't. And you're going to leave CeeDee Lamb one-on-one -on -one coverage. 
and we saw a monster day from C.D. Lamb in what is most likely his last Red River showdown game. You talk about a way to go out. Holy cow. That's how you go out of this game. Ten, ten receptions, 171 yards, three touchdowns. Um, this this offensive game plan, they were sluggish. You got the two turnovers. Uh, but, again, you can't stop this offense. There, there is not a team in the Big 12 that can stop this offense. May be able to slow them down. One thing that offensively I'd like to see Oklahoma get a little bit better at is what they are doing in the red zone. And I know you've got to take that with just a grain of salt because you've already mentioned no Grant Calcaterra. Second thing I didn't see was any Trey Sermon. We'll get to that here in a second. No Trey Sermon, no carries for him at least. He did make an appearance in the game. He was on the field. He lined up next to Jalen Hurts. He was just never handed that ball. And the, the third thing that I'm going to throw out there is where was Jeremiah Hall today? Because we've got three guys who I expect to have an impact in the red zone in terms of skill position players that aren't having an impact at all. It significantly hurt Oklahoma, I believe, not having the ability to utilize those three skill sets as often as they have previously, specifically in this OU Texas matchup. But Oklahoma has got to figure out something in the red zone where they're turning these into touchdowns instead of just relying on field goals. And I get it. I get that you've got to take the points. I get that there were a couple of turnovers there as well. Mentally, for me, just a knee-jerk reaction. It looks as though they weren't as successful as they have been. And granted, this is the best defense that Oklahoma has faced up to this point of the season. But credit Texas, whatever they were doing, whoever they had flown in to help prepare for this Oklahoma offense as a former coach against the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, I got to just give a hat tip there because they seem to hold their ground, force Oklahoma into some unfavorable positions when they were inside the 20-yard line. Well, I think Oklahoma forced them. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to take away from Texas. And again, tell me a defense that Oklahoma will face the rest of the season. That's on par with what was on the field with them today. They won until the Big 12 championship game, possibly. And they may not even. I mean, Iowa State, Iowa State's going to be good defensively. We know that, okay? That's the next good defense that Oklahoma's going to face. They're not facing a good defense. I don't defense. know, Matt. This is a weekend of defense in the Big 12 all of a sudden. I mean, well, we've got scores that aren't even hitting 30 points. Yeah, now the, now the, uh, SEC, Texas the SEC fans are going to say, uh, well, the Big 12 doesn't play offense anymore. Well, because that's what the SEC fans sound like. Um, Trey Sermon, Oklahoma, their rushing attack today, 38 carries. As, you know, three of those were taking a knee. They're, they're counted as a, as a team carry. Three of those were taking a knee at the end of the game. Jalen Hurts had 17 carries. Kennedy Brooks, 10 carries. Ramondre Stevenson, 6 carries. CeeDee Lamb ran the ball one time. TJ Pledger with a carry. No Trey Sermon in that, right? Correct. And everyone wants to want to know, where's Trey Sermon? That's a good question. It's a very valid question. Rich, who's Oklahoma's leading rusher not named Jalen Hurts? Um, Stevenson? No, it's Trey Sermon. <laughs> Here's, this is, this is, when I look at this game, if I replay it in my head, immediately I go back to the motion that you had mentioned. We had a lot of CeeDee Lamb. We had a lot of Charleston Rambo 
cutting across in the backfield, a lot of misdirection. And I know that Trey Sermon was a part mm-hmm. of that misdirection. I just wanted to see him get a single carry. But that's that's that is the genius, if you'll let me use right. that. Right. Well, it's the um, expectation yes. and not meeting it. And it's, all of a sudden, there's this wrench in the system because you're accounting for the leading rusher, aka Trey Sermon, to touch the ball at least five times. I would think if I'm preparing for Oklahoma's offense, I am looking at. Trey Sermon, and I'm looking at Kennedy Brooks. And when you remove one of those from the equation, all of a sudden I haven't prepared for Ramondre Stevenson got in there and got a couple of carries, a couple of other names in there also getting carries that weren't named Jalen Hurts, such as TJ Pledger and CD Lamb. So I get it. I get what you're saying. I'll let you finish your statement. I'm not Kanye West over here. I'll let you finish your statement, but it is that misdirection and it's, setting a team up, a defense specifically, for an expectation that you never plan to meet. Well, and that's what I'm saying is he's the leading rusher. Everyone knows Oklahoma wants to run the ball because Lincoln Riley uses the run to set up the pass. And you've got all these guys going all these different directions, but the guy that the defense is going to key on is number four. He's the leading rusher. And so when you run those play flakes, when you stick the ball in and then you pull it out and go a different direction with it, Everyone bites because Trey Sermon is the leading rusher. And so basically, Trey Sermon spent the afternoon being a decoy. Right. I don't know. I'm assuming he's okay with that because he's now 6-0 and on a team that's going to be top five nationally come tomorrow. And he also didn't have to get hit today. Exactly. I, I think it's a... I think it's a good move. I think it's a good play. You've got a deep stable of running backs, and we talked about this the other night. What they're able to do with these guys, how they're able to keep them healthy, is we're going to make a player out of you. You're going to be nationally recognized, but you're going to go in the NFL with limited mileage. Right. And that's 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 got to be how they're selling this thing. Um, I love I love the fact that we're, I mean, of course you know me and and my bromance with Ramondre Stevenson. I love the fact that we're seeing him increase you know, in his productivity and the way he's playing. I love the fact that the flea flicker was run with Kennedy Brooks <laughs> because we're talking about Trey Sermon. That's been a Trey Sermon play, right? Now you run it with Kennedy Brooks. I'm just happy it worked. Oh, okay? I'm happy. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy as crap. That didn't worked. turn yeah. out too good the first time. So all that said, there, there was a lot of good with this offense. The only drawback I think we're going to take from this offense, I mean, there was no sacks allowed. You're, you're averaging – you know, crazy amount of yards per play, whether you're running it or passing it. You just got to go back to the turnovers, and those turnovers, well, that's on Jalen Hurts. Other than that, you've got a pretty good offensive grade. Right, absolutely. I know that I've harped on execution. Oklahoma, the one thing I do want to say, instead of talking about execution, is the offensive line. Now, we had talked about some of the mistakes, some of the penalties that Oklahoma racked up. I get when you get into that environment that is a 50-50 split between the fan base. The noise level is unusually loud for what you're seeing a sea of red and a sea of orange. It's unusually loud for what these players, I think, are used to on normal occasion. So you do have the penalty on the offensive line. I think that one's excusable, though. A little bit of a non-disguised blitz at all, but that was the only penalty right. from the offensive yeah, side of the ball. One, yeah, you had and that so, one. And so, like I said, I feel like you can excuse it. It was on the very first series. Oklahoma still connects, gets the touchdown on the first drive of the game. 
the penalty didn't hurt them. So, like I said, Matt, I'm going to excuse it, but I was looking at the offensive line and saying, is this team, is this offensive line going to hold up against what we had considered to be the best defensive front seven that Oklahoma would face potentially this season? Mm-hmm. And they and they held up very well. And, again, it's worth noting that it was the is Bill Biedenboe's uh, top five guys out there. We got to talk about the rest of the Big 12 and how this game impacts Oklahoma in their pursuit for another Big 12 championship. You're listening to the Sooner Nation podcast. Limited slate of action today in the Big 12, Rich. Uh, Iowa State, West Virginia, uh, the Cyclones do what uh, what I expected them to do, and they just kind of – goose egg in the first quarter? Well, but still. They, I mean, they won 38-14 at West Virginia. We've talked about – going to Morgantown is not easy, uh, just traveling there in general. Uh, but the Cyclones, 38-14. West Virginia's got bigger problems now, 3-3 three and three on the season, 500. Um, and, you know, they're coming to Norman next week. Austin Kendall's status is kind of up in the air after getting injured today. Um, that's, you know, that's a good win for Iowa State. Moves them to 4-2 and two on the season. Only one loss in the conference. You're going to have a big log jam there. Uh, you've got Oklahoma uh, as the top team in the Big 12 Conference. And then you've got Baylor kind of sneaking in there. I, I don't want to jump into the power rankings too early because that's something that we'll – be throwing out there on the website early in the week, but Baylor now six and zero after getting pushed into overtime with Texas Tech. Red Raiders fall to three and three. Baylor six and zero, thirty three to thirty is is the 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 um the final on that game. I'm walking away from this going. I think Texas Tech is better than what I gave them credit for two weeks ago. Now obviously they went out and kind of put it to Oklahoma State. And then I I didn't have them winning this game, which they didn't, but I didn't have them even hanging close with Baylor. I don't know pregame where I sat with that one, but looking at it, I know very specifically I had said Baylor 5-0. and This was on Thursday, 5-0. and I don't expect them to go unbeaten. I did expect them to win this game. I just don't know what that margin is. I think we're seeing the middle of the conference just show just how competitive – that they can be, but again, there are one and two for me. We're going to have that log jam in the middle, which I said was from three to six, and then we're going to have seven, eight, nine, and ten who have kind of positioned themselves at the bottom early here, and I don't see any way that specifically nine and ten rise up from the grave. It's going to be a log jam three to six for the remainder of the season who takes that three spot, who makes the challenge to replace Texas as the a Big 12 title contender, I don't know. I don't even know that it happens. We'll have to wait and see. Iowa State. <laughs> next week, uh, next week, Kansas at Texas, West Virginia at Oklahoma, Iowa State at Texas Tech, TCU at Kansas State, Baylor at Oklahoma State. Uh, that will be a big game next week uh, for both the Bears and the Cowboys. To me, what happens with this win today, Oklahoma 34-27 over Texas, there's a gap now. I mean, there, there's a gap. Texas with two losses on the season now. Right. Uh, Baylor 6-0 was still I – mean, they're, they're in the top 25. They're going to stay in the top 25. You had kind of seen this team bump in the top 25 one week, and then they're gone the next week. Can't, TCU did it. Kansas State did it. Oklahoma State did it. Now Baylor's there, and they stay. You know, they're number 22. They're going to move up in the poll when it comes out on Sunday. 
a little bit, but they're going to move up. But there's a gap. There, there's a gap. There's Oklahoma, and then there's a gap between two and three, be that three be Baylor or Iowa State or somebody else. And then you're right. Then there's another gap between four, five, six, seven, and then there's another gap, eight, nine, and ten. Oklahoma, hands down, the best team in the Big 12. You never want to presume anything, but sooner they're in position now to run the table. And and why this is important, this is kind of our closing thought, why this is important. By the way, we didn't do an offensive player of the game. We're just going to say C.D. Lamb, right? C.D. Lamb. Okay, yeah. Um, while this is important, Oklahoma, the last couple years, has used the Big 12 championship game to secure a spot in the playoff, but as a four seed. You run the table, you go in that Big 12 championship game undefeated, and you use that spot to get the higher seed. Uh, Oklahoma is now not just in position to make the playoff, but they're in a position to make the playoff at a higher seed than number four. That's why this game was big. You know what's crazy? Um, I was doing a little bit of research, reading through some articles. Someone had actually compiled the number of one-loss teams who have missed out on the college football playoff. How many years have we had the playoff? Four. Four years. We've had a total of six one-loss teams, I believe it was, miss out. And that was because there were three. Baylor and TCU were two of those in That's one fine. single year. However many years it's it's been in play in the college realm of football, there have only been six one-loss teams who have been left out. And like I said, two of those were Baylor and TCU when the Big 12 couldn't decide on quote-unquote one true right, champion, right, yeah. which was the the slogan for the Big 12 conference that season. Anywho, I digress. I'm looking at it, and I'm saying if you're undefeated, you're basically a shoe-in for the, the college football playoff, and you're not the four seed. If you're one loss, you've got an ex- ex- extremely good chance of making it because a lot of those one-loss teams, Ohio State being one of those, just haven't had the strength of schedule. I'm concerned about that because Oklahoma, I don't necessarily believe, has the strength of schedule to go up against another one-loss team if they were to drop a game anywhere throughout the remainder of the season. It's got to go undefeated for me to make the college football playoff, and if they do so, I believe they're they're not a four. They're at least a three because the potential for three undefeated teams, the potential for four undefeated teams is on the table still. Yeah, it's going to be fun as we close out the last half of the season. At 6-0, the season is officially halfway over for the Oklahoma Sooners. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to hear you uh, hear back from you at uh, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, or drop a comment at heartland-sports.com on our podcast page. Please give us a rankings if you listen to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever. We'd love to have a, a ranking from you on that. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooners.